You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. Behind the scenes, Ayn Rand on The Tonight Show. In 1967, Ayn Rand was a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, a talk show beamed into the homes of tens of millions of Americans. The audience reaction was extraordinary, and she appeared three times in four months. Today, the Ayn Rand Institute is proud to publish those three interviews with the kind permission of Carson Entertainment Group, the copyright owner. Two of these interviews are rare finds. One appears in print, in Objectively Speaking, and the other has not been published, nor has been publicly available until today. Using YouTube's premiere function, we're featuring those three interviews and we'll be publishing them back to back in about 30 minutes. And we invite you to stay on and join the watch party. As we count down to that launch, we're gonna go behind the scenes of those interviews, take a look at how they came about, foreshadow some of the topics, and discuss Ayn Rand's appearances and where this was during her career. Welcome, I'm Ilan Jerno, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Tom Bowden. Hi, Tom. Hi, Ilan, good to be here. It's great to have you. I wanted to talk with you because you did so much work on this article about Ayn Rand's appearances on The Tonight Show for New Ideal, our journal, and I was really excited to read the article. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was terrific. I'm encouraging everyone who's watching to go and take a look at it after, after the countdown and after the uh, watch party. So I thought, let's dive in a bit and help people just contextualize the importance of these interviews that Ayn Rand did. Let me start with this question. I know a lot of people who are going to be watching this are going to be saying, Johnny Carson, who? Who is this guy? Maybe their parents have heard of him, but they don't know. So who was he? How big a deal was he back in 1967? Yeah, that makes me feel very old. But um, if you take Stephen Colbert and, uh, and Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon and roll them all up into one, you know, it's Johnny Carson. He was the king of late night. And we're going back 55 years, okay, to 1967. Um, he didn't really have any competition. Uh, he was well on his way to becoming, you know, the king of late night is what they called him. His ratings were better than anybody's. He was, and if, you, if you're not familiar with Johnny Carson, you got to check him out on YouTube. You know, he's a very funny guy, and but very approachable, very middle America. So he was you know, famously able to relate to everybody of all political persuasions. It was in the era before everything was politically charged. Um, so, you know, the Tonight Show, Johnny Carson had taken over in 1962. So that was five years later. He had built great ratings. He had just come off of a, of a contract dispute where he was getting paid a lot more money. He was really in the driver's seat in making this show something that was going to explode over in the 1970s and 1980s and 1990s. Uh, so he was, the, he, he was the key. If you wanted to be on late night TV to advertise your book, as Ayn Rand did, then his is the show you wanted to be on. So, Tom, let's paint the picture of what the media landscape was back then, because I think I, mean, I can tell you my kids have no idea what broadcast TV is. They're too young for that. And back then, obviously, there was no Internet. There was no nothing like YouTube, nothing even remotely. How many channels did people have to choose from back then on television? Well, you talk about the landscape, you know, it's kind of like a desert landscape where, you know, one of those mesas is sticking up and there's another one over here. So there's you had three or four TV channels, maybe. Uh, in this barren landscape, barren relative to, to what we have today. 
Uh, and the, the thing that's remarkable to me to think about is that you, if you're going to watch The Tonight Show, you know, it started at 1130 at night. You had to have your rear end in, in, in a seat or be lying in bed and looking at the TV to see it. And in this case, Ayn Rand's first appearance was, I'm pretty sure, was like 1230 to one o'clock. So and if you weren't watching it, then you missed it. There was no YouTube to, to see a highlight. You might find a rerun months in the future. Uh, so it, not only were there very few channels, but the the synchronous nature of it, you know, you had to be watching when they were broadcasting, made it very kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, the, we talk about the mainstream media as a gatekeeper and, and they were a gatekeeper and they still are to some extent, but now we have so many ways around the gate, so many holes in the fence, you know, for a famous person or somebody trying to be famous, like, a, you know, a Joe Rogan or a Jordan Peterson, they have all sorts of avenues now to go directly to people and, uh, and spread an intellectual message. Uh, Ayn Rand didn't have that. She had to, you know, uh, earn her way onto national TV, which she did. Uh, but, but the, yeah, the, the contrast with the, uh, landscape is there is no social media. So you really had to, uh, to work to get your message out. And of course, as you were saying, the, the, the broadcast nature of it, the best you could hope for was a rerun because this was before the advent of VCRs or home record, what we, today we'd call a DVR, but back then it was actually a cassette that you had to put in your shoes. So I, those didn't exist in many people. I think if you wanted to record something, you'd have to get a movie camera and point it at your TV. And that, I don't think many people were doing that kind of thing. So let's talk a little about where Ayn Rand was in her career. So set the stage. So Adel Shrugged is published in 57. So this is 10 years yeah. since. Where, what is she doing? Where is this? What is she busy promoting? Yeah, I think the most useful way to look at it is, uh, you know, in 1957, Ayn Rand's career as a writer of fiction ended. And her her second career, if you want to call it that, as a, as a writer of uh, nonfiction started. So uh, she became, made herself into a public intellectual or uh, almost a cultural icon she began speaking on uh, college campuses of the, uh, all over the Ivy League, you know, Harvard and Yale and Princeton, and, and then, uh, you know, out in the, the big state schools like uh, Michigan and Wisconsin. Uh, she appeared on uh, national TV, like the Mike Wallace show was one of the first ones she appeared on. Um, uh, she gave an interview to Playboy magazine in 1964. So she was, she was a big deal in the culture but again, on the premise of writing nonfiction, so applying her philosophy of objectivism to current events, to elections, to, to, to the war, to, to whatever was happening in the culture. And she had started uh, her uh, publication, the Objectivist Newsletter, which changed format into the Objectivist. That was 1962, it started, same year Johnny Carson started on The Tonight Show. And it had become the objectivist uh, in 1967, basically the same magazine. And she was writing essays in there. And then these essays would be collected into books like uh, The Virtue of Selfishness and uh, the one that came out in 1966, just before this first appearance, Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. Uh, so she was, you know, a self, she was self-promotional in the sense that she wanted to put her message out there and she wanted to, uh, she knew that she had, she was an expert at, you know, how to get publicity and, and what was good publicity and what was bad. 
Uh, and so she wanted to, uh, the way this particular interview came out is that her book, Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal, as I say, came out in 66. It was just coming out in paperback, I think in 67. And uh, um, so I feel sure that we, we don't have exact archival evidence of it, but uh, I feel like her, the publicist for the book probably reached out to Johnny Carson. And Johnny Carson's bookers would have been aware of Ayn Rand. She was kind of a big deal. And so they took a chance on having her on because, you know, she's not like, if you look at the people who had multiple appearances on Johnny Carson, it'd be a comedian like Buddy Hackett might be on, you know, uh, every month for three months or something, uh, or Joan Rivers or comedians or, or actors or whatever. You didn't really have a lot of uh, uh, serious philosophers and novelists with, with a Russian accent uh, on uh, national TV. So it was kind of a risk for them to reach out to her. Uh, but that's how the interview came about in August of 1967. And just to add to what you're saying, spend some time on YouTube and look up some old Johnny Carson clips from The Tonight Show. You will get a sense. I think he called it, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but he called it like a wild and crazy show or something along those lines. And you get clips of him in doing costumes and skits. And it's sort of not exactly a variety show, but it, it has touches of that. And so it's very lighthearted, very comical, typically. So this was a, 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 a contrast for the show when Ayn Rand came on. Yeah, it was definitely a contrast. Uh, uh, he had on some what you would call intellectuals or public intellectuals or uh, authors of nonfiction. But for, for somebody like Ayn Rand to come on, not just once, but be invited back twice, meant that she was, she was causing a stir. And we would say today, we would say the reaction to her appearances went viral. Because, you know, in those days, the, the feedback you got was letters, you know, that, to Johnny Carson and to Ayn Rand and phone calls. And both the Carson Show and Ayn Rand were inundated with uh, audience response. And we, we feel sure that that was a big reason why he had her back uh, two times for a total of three, three appearances. And I think in, in your article, you make the point that Ayn Rand got so many letters uh, and interest in her publication. So I think she got some subscribers joining uh, the Objectivist newsletter. And there were so many letters that, and I think she was a, uh, often writing personally in response to fan letters. But at this point, there were so many in reaction to these interviews that she did on Johnny Carson. She had to do a form letter. In the article, you call it a dear friend letter. So that just what was that about? What did that look like exactly? Yeah, she had a dear friend letter. And it was essentially, um, you know, thank you for your response. And here's a free copy of the article that I wrote about uh, called Requiem for Man, I think was the article which was her criticism of the Pope's encyclical uh, against uh, capitalism. And uh, <clears throat> I think the, uh, where it ties into me, where it's interesting is that she was very clear in her interviews, you know, that you can't, uh, she couldn't convey the whole essence of her philosophy. So the first thing Johnny Carson asks her in the first appearance is what's your philosophy? Well, how are you gonna, how are you gonna say that? But she's very clear that you can't say it all in, uh, uh, a few minutes on a talk show, but here's where you go to find out the facts. In that case, read Atlas Shrugged. And uh, uh, she was very clear when talking about the Pope's uh, encyclical that you need to go to the objectivist and read, you know, my article to get the true 
to get the full context. So she was very, she's a thinker, you know, she's not treating ideas casually. She's treating these things seriously and respecting the audience's context. I don't need, I don't expect you to agree with me based on five minutes on Johnny Carson, but you do need to read and, and think about these issues uh, uh, for yourself. I just want to plug your article one more time because there was something that really struck me in reading it. You mentioned there's a, an anecdote. So you, a lot of the, the material in the article is from the Ayn Rand archives. You did a lot of research there and we're really glad to be able to have that resource. It's the world's most comprehensive resource of Ayn Rand materials. And one of the things that struck me is there's, I think it's a bookstore in Arizona. So the, the manager, maybe I'm not getting the exact anecdote, but a bookstore owner is quoted in a paper saying, after this show, after this interview, there was a run on Ayn Rand's nonfiction books. If we had more copies, we would have sold them, and particularly the non the, the hardcover, which are always more expensive than the print. So, I think if if Ayn Rand's goal was to get more people to to notice her work and to to go and engage with it, I think that definitely there's evidence that that happened. Well, that's right, and and you had Johnny Carson not only holding up capitalism, the unknown ideal, but holding up her or mentioning her magazine, The Objectivist, mentioning that she's the author of Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead, um, uh, and and him being very complimentary of her. And I, I think uh, you know these these I don't know these interviews are so fascinating. I think there's a number of things that you can really listen for and watch for. Now we've got one video and two audios, right? So you talked about the technology. Somebody in 1967 took a kinescope, you know, before you even had VCR cameras, took a kinescope and took a picture of the interview. But uh, NBC's policy, you know, was to reuse its videotape, uh, you know, for new episodes. So uh, the, the second two episodes were lost on video. But what you had is people uh, taking, you know, recordings off the air. And I, this would be a good time, I think, to show a couple of the pictures that we have of Ayn Rand um, on The Tonight Show, because this, once again, is just people, somebody had a camera, you know, and they took a picture of the TV set, and then they took the roll of film, and they took it down to the drugstore, and a few days later, they got the paper pictures back, and the fan, you know, put them in an envelope and sent them to Ayn Rand and said, this is what you look like on The Tonight Show. <laughs> you know, so this is like this technology, it's laughable how primitive it is compared to what we would do today. But this is her in the August, uh, uh, with Johnny Carson in the August 11th, 1967 uh, appearance, which is my birthday, by the way. And, and you know, like I say, I, I missed this uh, uh, appearance. <laughs> I wish I'd seen it. Uh, I think, yeah, the next photo is her looking very intently at Johnny Carson. And, you know, as you're listening to these things, watch for her temperament and for her uh, demeanor is it's just very serious, but very friendly and very open and very logical, reasoned, um, uh, e emotional, you know, when called for and so forth. So it's really uh, um, a lot of things to watch for. Uh, this is another one. Now, it's interesting. We have two other pictures that we know are October and December, but we don't know which is which. So if anybody was around or alive at the time and remembers what she was wearing in October, versus uh, December. So this is uh, one of the, either the second or third appearance in that very remarkable kind of uh, dress that you don't see Ayn Rand in kind of 1960s dress. You know, I don't recall seeing her. So that, just that picture alone is worth a thousand words. And then the next one is uh, kind of a, I don't know what you call that kind of a dress, a shift or an A-line or something, but again, it's the kind of dress I don't 
see recall seeing her in before so that that's what she looked like on the tonight show and, and um, but you'll get to see what she looked like and what she sounded like and, and uh, um, I think some other things to watch for on the uh, or listen for on the interviews are just how uh, how kind of calm rational and and uh, uh, I don't know, intellectually serious and exploratory these conversations were so Johnny Carson asked good questions, uh, but he let her stay her peace and he would come back at her with, you know, objections and so forth, but it was all very respectful. And Ayn Rand said at some point during these interviews, I'm always happy to discuss ideas but not to debate them. And I think uh, part of what she meant by that is she didn't want to uh, elevate other, you know, opposing views and give them the platform that she had earned. You know, she wanted a platform to talk about her ideas, uh, and, and which um, uh, which brings up the idea of ground rules. I don't know if you want to discuss that for a minute, but uh, yeah, let, let's like come to that in just a sec. I want to come yeah. to that in just a sec, Tom. But I want to remind everyone who's watching: we're we're counting down in about 12, 13 minutes. We're gonna roll over to the YouTube premiere of these three 1967 interviews with Ayn Rand appearing on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. And thank you all for being here. Thank you for all of you who are donating in support of the Ayn Rand Institute's work to bring Ayn Rand's ideas to a larger audience. We invite you to support our work. We're grateful for those of you who already are uh, contributing to our mission. We, we really appreciate that. And as I said, we're, we're on a clock and we're going to try to hit the mark exactly right. So there's so much more we want to talk about. And I'll, I'll remind everyone that We'll put a link to this in the YouTube description as well for those who want to follow up. Tom has a really excellent article about this in our journal, New Ideal. After you watch the interviews, go read the article where we'd love for you to take a look at that and, and uh, eager to hear your feedback. I want to circle back to one more thing before we go to um, the ground rules, Tom. I want to go back to, you mentioned the Pope's encyclical and this is 1967, and I believe this was one of the, the years, so the Vietnam War was raging. America was in turmoil over the Vietnam War. This was the, the biggest issue, arguably, at the time. I think the death toll that year was probably the, the highest it was up to that point. I'm not sure if it, it got higher. So there was a lot of focus on the Vietnam War, and the, the Pope's encyclical was Another, so, you know, the Pope's standing in the culture was probably higher than it is today. Um, more people paid attention to him as an intellectual sort of spiritual leader. And so Ayn Rand discussed both those issues in these interviews. And it's interesting. So you, you suggested things for people to notice. Give us a sense for some of the topics that she talks about, because she didn't hold back. She was she never compromised her message. And yet, and this goes back to the point we were talking about earlier, where the reaction was really strong and positive and not always positive, but it was interesting to notice this on the show as well. So give us a sense of some of the topics, just to kind of the headline level and, and where she stood on that. Yeah, I think you'll see on, on the, uh, uh, one of the recordings uh, when she expressed a certain opinion, uh, Johnny Carson came in and said, now there were, there was some applause and then I heard some boos in there. And he said, that's what you're going to have when you have controversial opinions being expressed. And that's why we're here. So, again, kudos to Johnny Carson for being, you know, willing to to air the views of this controversial uh, speaker. So, you know, so start from the beginning. You know, here's Ayn Rand summarizing objectivism with its ethics of rational self-interest. So right right away, you know, selfishness is, is uh, and, and, you know, life on Earth and atheism 
you know, all these controversial uh, elements Ayn Rand is getting out. Uh, in terms of what was going on at the time, certainly, you know, this was the 1960s, so she had already written about and gone through the, the hippies and the, the, the campus rebellions and all of that. Um, uh, she had nothing good to say about the student protesters who, who uh, were against the, the Vietnam War because uh, they were uh, more sympathetic to uh, the communists. Uh, she was, her point about the Vietnam War is, is that it was not to our self-interest uh, to be in Vietnam. We had nothing to gain from it. And that was her opinion as to why we should not be there, which of course was exactly the opposite. People said we, we had a lot to gain from it, uh, the opponents. So the, the Vietnam War and the military draft closely allied to that. She said, you know, uh, nobody has a right to take the life of another person. And if you, uh, if two billion or uh, people gang up on that individual, it doesn't give them any more right to take his life uh, through conscription. So the military draft, uh, uh, the Vietnam War, the Pope, I mean, uh, the United Nations, I mean, her, her strong opinion, the United Nations should not exist. United States should not be a member of it. And then there's a whole litany of other issues. I mean, it's just the, the array of issues that she addressed is extraordinary. And, but she never felt labored, like she was trying to get to the next point or something. All these things just came up because everything was integrated in her point of view and she would have to make this or that controversial point. And I, I have a, at the end of my article, I have a, a, a place you can tap and just and expand to see all the additional, besides the big issues that I just mentioned, just dozens of other issues that came up where she would express her opinion. So you just have to listen for how she communicated this controversial philosophy. Uh, you know, Ayn Rand as a person, as the spokesperson for her philosophy is just something to behold that you don't necessarily get in just in reading the things that she wrote. So I want to come back to your point about uh, ground rules. And I've had different experiences in interviews and I've worked on the other side of this, getting people to do interviews. And I know that it's a common practice for people who do interviews to set certain ground rules or conditions for their appearances, you know, celebrities and musicians and, and actors. It, it's a very common thing. It varies obviously from individual to individual. Tell us a bit about how Ayn Rand approached that issue. Well, I think for a lot of celebrities and so forth, it would be don't talk about my ex-wife or don't talk about my, you know, heroin scandal or whatever it might be. But with Ayn Rand, you know, she wanted to get her ideas across and she ideas were precious to her. And, and the communicating of them was something that you had to do properly and seriously. And uh, uh, to to be subject to attacks, to be fending off attacks uh, and quotes from your enemies and, and barbs from the host and so forth. Uh, she just didn't want that. And, and so you know, you'll hear uh, Johnny Carson say that the one rule she laid down for him was don't attack me personally. Just don't attack me. You can ask me questions about my ideas and challenge me, but don't attack me. Uh, that was one of her clear rules, but her other ground rules had to do with just let's have a serious intellectual discussion, you know, not down to personalities, not quoting my enemies and so forth. And she put these ground rules out, you know, routinely. Uh, and as a result, the, the, the interviews that she did do uh, did live up to her standards, uh, you know, and allowed her to get her point of view across. 
the contrast I like to draw is in a footnote in my article is the Dick Cavett uh, story. So the Dick Cavett show came on in 1970, I think it was, and invited her to appear. You know, they would have been aware that she was on Johnny Carson. And she sent them normally her ground rules. It was just five or six ground rules written. And Dick Cavett and her, his producer sat around and kind of chuckled and laughed at this and said, there's no way we're going to agree to these rules. And so she was never invited on, uh, on the show. But the kicker, the punchline is years later, Dick Cavett was interviewed and uh, he was recalling this thing and said, yeah, we looked at these ground rules and we said, no, this would not work because I was laying, I was lying in wait, you know, to ambush her. I was laying for, her. I wanted, you know, I had no respect for her as a writer or a thinker uh, and, and I wanted to get at her. So the, the ground rules, you know, uh, come in handy and, and really protect, help protect the reputation and, and uh, presentation of a serious writer like Ayn Rand. Well, I, I want to just suggest for, as people watch the interview and then listen to this, the two that follow, uh, and you can hear this in, in, in all of them, there's, a, there's an interesting rapport that Johnny Carson builds with her and he's quite respectful, and but he doesn't agree with everything she has to say. And he comes up with really interesting questions along the way uh, so it doesn't have the feel of a lot of the interviews you watch now on late night. They seem like they were scripted by the press agent of the person appearing and it's, you know, beat by beat. It's, we know what we're going to say. This is much more dynamic and it seems authentic in the sense that he's really interested. What do you think about this controversial thing? How do you respond to that? So Tom, we're almost at the times. I want to hand it back to you and just get a sort of final thoughts from you before we wrap up. Apropos of what you were saying, toward the end of the last uh, December interview, Johnny Carson asks her some questions about his son struggling with foreign language uh, requirements at college. And I got the impression, I can't prove it, but it seemed spontaneous. It didn't seem like even a rehearsed question that they had gone through in a pre-interview or anything. And Ayn Rand has some very interesting things to say about education uh, that I'm not sure were, were pre-planned, uh, but that's something to look forward to. Uh, I, one other little thing I want to mention is, uh, uh, as you watch these things, there's a little closed caption CC button at the bottom of YouTube. Uh, if if uh, you're having any trouble, uh, you know, following her, uh, even if you don't think you are, you know, push the closed caption and, and have the captions come up because everything is a lot clearer when you're seeing the exact wording on the screen. Um, I'm just so thrilled to be able to write about and to experience these these interviews. Uh, um, for the first it's 55 years, uh, uh, I, I think uh, what you said before, Johnny Carson said, you know, this is kind of a crazy entertainment show. And, and you're right. That's basically what it was. But he was serious enough to want to. Uh, this was, it was a kind of an example of how uh, a thinker coming on like Ayn Rand could uh, elevate the genre and, you know, uh, give some people in their living rooms and bedrooms, you know, the unexpected, a philosopher talking to me about really important things. I think we know at least one person who got turned on to Ayn Rand from actually watching these Johnny Carson experiences. Um, so I, I just, I don't know, I, I think you need to listen, watch and judge for yourself uh, how Ayn Rand projected her philosophy. I think the, these interviews really give you a great opportunity to do that. 
Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks for sharing everything you've, you've written about and you've discovered and some of these sidelights and, and behind the scenes perspective. Really appreciate that. Go read Tom's article after you join us at the watch party, which will start in just a moment. And I want to just thank everyone who's supported the Institute with donations today. And if you want to uh, support our work, you can do it through YouTube now, or you can go to aynrand.org donate and help us bring Ayn Rand's books and ideas to more people and larger audiences across time. The YouTube premiere will begin momentarily for those of you watching live. Just give the, your screen a moment or two to reload at the appointed time, and then we will be with you in the chat in the uh, watch party. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to aynrand.org.